Welcome to Police Chief Podcast, featuring some of the brightest and most talented law enforcement leaders in the country as they discuss the future of policing as well as the challenges facing their officers, professional staff, departments, and communities. Here's your host, former Denver Chief of Police, Paul Pazin. Welcome, welcome. Very excited here today. Uh, very excited to talk to somebody that I love to see because uh, if you were sitting where I am, you'd see a big old smile on his face. We have the chief uh, from Tulsa, Oklahoma Police Department, Chief Wendell Franklin, uh, my friend. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Uh, here we get to talk about some of the issues facing police chiefs, uh, big cities and small departments all mm-hmm. across the country. Uh, we get to hear from you uh, just, you know, your perspective on on the state of policing now and, and really the future of policing. Uh, Wendell, my friend, tell me a little bit about yourself. Tell our listeners a little bit about you. OK, um, well, I, I'm born and raised in Tulsa. I've uh, been here my entire life. I did all of my college here through community college and then through some of the uh, extension colleges uh, from around the Oklahoma area and received my bachelor's degree. And shortly after I joined the Tulsa Police Department, uh, I've been on this department, I think, 26 years now and spent a good deal of time working in narcotics and undercover and uh, working on task force and then promoted from there uh, to where I am today and um, got a pretty good tip in the pool dealing with uh, community issues at two different patrol divisions within Tulsa and then uh, at our headquarters division, which uh, does a lot of the research and development technology stuff. And then, uh, you know, from there, I became chief sworn in in February of 2020. Great, great. Um, this this job probably has never been more difficult and probably never been more important. Tell me your why. Why do you still do this? Yeah, I did it because, uh, you know, I'm born and raised here. I have a family here. Uh, my two boys are 28 and 25. And, and so uh, they live in this community. My oldest is married and has a son. So it's important that we have a, a safe community. And, you know, Tulsa is just one of those cities that's that's sort of unique. It's a pretty good sized city with 200 square miles, but it's uh, 410,000 people in the city about a million in the metro area, and uh, uh, we call it a big, small city. And so I've always enjoyed being a part of protecting people, and I just want my family to be safe. And I know everyone out there wants their loved ones to be safe, and that's that's sort of why I took on this big role. So you gave a little bit about your past narcotics, uh, lots of fun. I'm sure you had some great assignments, community relations uh, coming up. Why did you choose to be the chief? Yeah, that's a. <laughs> it took some poking and prodding to get me to uh, to apply for the job. I knew it was. Uh, I knew it was coming open. I knew the previous chief was retiring out. I didn't necessarily know that I wanted to actually be in that role. There is some comfort found in, in you know, being a number two or a number three where you've got some insulation and some cushion that at least it's not me that has to deal with X, Y, and Z. So it took a little bit to get me there. Really, really talked hard with my family about it, my wife and uh uh, she was a huge encouragement to me to push on. And then uh, my two sons, they are the ones that ultimately sent me over the top to get me over the fence, basically by saying, 
you know, dad, all these years, you know, you've uh, coached us in football. You've, you've told us to, to be great men and, and pushed us in, in college and all of that and said, you know, always push yourself as hard as you can and don't be comfortable. And here you are, you have this opportunity. Why wouldn't you try and apply for that? Because you could do it. And so that right there was like, man, I, I can't go back and honestly live with myself thinking I've encouraged my kids to do the very best that they can and, and push them beyond their, their uh, level of comfort. And for them to then twist that and turn that back around on me, I, I had to, you know. And so I applied for the job. Uh, there were, I think, six of us or seven of us that, uh, that applied and uh, whittled down to four. I was one of the four finalists throughout each stage of interviews and, and meetings and, and uh, meetings with community members. I walked out thinking that, you know, I didn't have anything to lose. I just went in there and laid it all out on the table. And ultimately, uh, I felt good coming out of each of those interviews. But when I said I felt good, I actually <laughs> I was scared to death because I knew that I potentially was progressing even further down the road of potentially being a chief. And uh, when the mayor ultimately made the phone call to me, I, I didn't necessarily accept it right then because I, I I was reluctant. And when I finally gave him my answer and told him that, yeah, I would I would accept it. He told me later, I really didn't think you'd accept it. He goes, I was I was so afraid that you wouldn't accept the job because he knew of my reluctance and knew that I wasn't necessarily gun ho about about taking on the role. It was just kind of necessary, I think. And I really had a clear plan on what I thought we should be doing in law enforcement in, in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and, and, uh, and it resonated with him. Mm, I like it. You told the mayor, I'll get back to you when I get this job. Uh, of course, that's exactly how you would answer that. I love it. You don't get to this spot on your own and, and uh, everything that, that I know about you and everything I've ever seen. You are a family man through and through. Um, I'd also like to know about uh, mentors. Uh, are there folks that helped you within the department or folks in, in law enforcement or even outside of law enforcement, college professors, clergy, folks that, uh, you know, really helped shape you uh, to, to get to this spot? Because uh, it's not an easy spot to get to. No, it's, it's not easy. And, and uh, boy, I've had so much help along the way. I don't even know where to start, but uh, I know one thing that, that continually comes up in my mind, and I've, I've verbalized this before, I've talked about it before, is uh, there was a, a man that attended uh, uh, the church that I went to, and uh, this was just no ordinary man. This, this guy was a high school football coach at uh, one of the greatest high schools in the Tulsa area. Uh, has won the most championships and has built a team out of nothing. And uh, he did it through the way he led, the way he, his coaching style and and how he developed, not just those, those individuals that were putting on shoulder pads and helmets uh, to go on the football field, but, but he was more than just a coach for them on the field. He was a life coach for them and really, you know, got deep into their inner being to push them to their maximum ability. And uh, that's why every year you could never count him out of a uh, state championship, because even if he had the worst of teams, 
he was going to be one that was going to be a contender in the end just because of the way he coached. And uh, he was diagnosed with ALS. This would have been 2018, 2019, and uh, ultimately passed away from it. I, th I think it was in 2019. But every step of the way, we would do Bible study together. We would uh, have our, our men's group. Ultimately, when he, he got to a point where he couldn't travel, we would all go to his place. And uh, he said... Uh, Every time I would come in the door, he is. So when are you going to be chief? Every single time, when are you going to be chief? And I would always blow him off and say, that's not me. That's not what I'm going to do. You know, um, I'm going to finish out my career and look in the private sector and see, uh, you know, what I can do there. But uh, he was a huge, huge inspiration to me. Coach Alan Trimble mm. uh, was his name, and he was a huge inspiration to me and uh, and really brought out the best in me, even though he was, you know, only a couple years older than me. That has really been what helped me in my later years in life. Obviously, my, my father was a huge inspiration as well, but I lost my father when I was 21 years old. Mm. And uh, but he was he was also very inspiring. And, and you know, you didn't dare do anything to uh, mess up the family name. Uh, he was the, the glue that kind of held our family together, not just our immediate family, but he was the youngest of all of his siblings. And everyone looked upon him as the person to to bring any issues to. He was a, a good thinker and an individual that you could bring something to and, and, and he would he would help you find a way through it. So huge inspiration in my life for the 21 years that, that I had him. And so, you know, he kind of molded me and shaped me to who I am today. Mm. Love it. Love it. Uh, very inspirational uh, with us uh, today as uh, Chief Wendell Franklin, Tulsa, Oklahoma Police Department. What about advice? I'm going to switch this around a little bit. Um, what's the best advice you've given to somebody else? Mm, well, that's tough. I, I'm going to have to go back to my uh, to my two boys. My youngest, for certain, my youngest played uh, football and got an athletic scholarship to a university and, and played uh, at the collegiate level. I would always send him a text message or some words of encouragement before each game and I would send it at a specific time before each game when I knew they'd be in the locker room getting ready for the game. I encouraged him and tried to get his mindset right each and every game because the game is just as mental as it is physical. I, I hope I helped him a little bit along the way. And to this day, you know, both of my sons, uh, even though they're older, 28 and 25, they still need parenting every day. So anything that I can do to, to help them throughout life, I, I try and do and and uh, and be there for them. You know, likewise, across, you know, with our peers uh, in law enforcement, uh, it's very encouraging to get together with one another and just kind of listen to one another and, and encourage one another and pick little tidbits up that we can all, uh, you know, lock away and let it out when we need it. Uh, those are always encouraging things. Um, so, yeah, I don't I don't know if I give more than I receive, really. I feel like I receive more than what I give. Uh, it's just encouraging for me to to be around other chiefs because uh, it's so true what they say. No one understands the role unless you've been in the role. And it is so true. And I never really thought about that being, again, insulated. There is some uh, comfort in being insulated. 
But when you're not insulated and you are that person, nobody understands that except the person that's been in the role. And so so going around with other chiefs and and being able to, uh, you know, rub elbows with chiefs from all across the United States, uh, that is what kind of gives me comfort kind of reinvigorates me and uh, and allows me an opportunity to grow from learning from them. And maybe I, I say a couple things that uh, that they take back as well. Well, I'm here to vouch. Uh, yes. Uh, even if it's just that big old smile, uh, that's something that that others get to take back. And, yeah. and uh, the words that you share, the wisdom that you share certainly does go a long way. Uh, Wendell, you've been through a lot. In, in three years, you've experienced uh, a lot uh, since you've been been the police chief here. Uh, and at every turn, it seems that uh, you handle yourself with grace, that uh, you, you manage the situation exceptionally well, even when you're put in front of the national media and having to give statements in, in front of uh, reporters. That's a, a testament to how you've prepared uh, for this position and just who you are as a, as a person. How have you been able to just get through it and, and make it look like you're not faced when, when all the rest of us, uh, <laughs> you know, we've fallen apart. Uh, well, no, uh, yeah, I, I fall apart off the cameras, right? <laughs> but, uh, but realistically, I, again, I don't want to let my colleagues down when we had our, our, uh, active shooter event here at, at one of our, our medical facilities, uh, I was actually in San Francisco with a bunch of uh, police chiefs and had to leave there. And as I was preparing to uh, to get in front of the cameras, all I could think about was I can't let these guys down. I can't let them down. But I don't know. I think it goes back to uh, just the training that we've gone through and and. And even, you know, the training from the academy plays a role in it because, you know, we're taught that we are going to go through some pretty horrendous events in our life. We're going to pull up on uh, scenes of chaos. And, uh, you know, we, we teach that you're no good if, if you can't keep it together, if you can't be a critical thinker and think during those moments of crisis. And so I kind of approach the uh, the the role of standing in, the, in front of the cameras the same way is that all eyes are on you and and you can't break because if you break, then everyone around you senses that and they'll do the same thing. So you have to maintain your poise in any of those roles and deliver the information, whether it's good or bad. You know, uh, I've always done that and it, you can never really practice that. But I think if you understand that and you accept that as being part of your role, then then that's what we have to do. And in each moment is a is a moment of growth, because, you know, each time you stand up there, you gain a little bit more insight, a little bit more wisdom, a little bit more comfort. And and that's how I do it. Uh, speaking of challenges, right? Law enforcement has has had some very uh, tough challenges over the last couple of years. Where do you see law enforcement in the next five years? Where do you see law enforcement in the next ten years? Well, I don't see um, I don't see a lot of people that are going to be knocking down the doors to get into the profession. I think there's been a lot of damage done to the uh, to the brand, if you will through, you know, right or wrong, some pretty horrific acts called on video. And of course, none of us condone 
some of those actions that, that we've seen on video, but it, it certainly does hurt the law enforcement profession each time some negative incident is displayed on the national news. And, you know, realistically, the encounters that law enforcement have, an overwhelming majority of them end with a positive disposition. And really, there's only a, a small number that end in uh, uses of force, if you will, and even less that end in, in the death of, of someone. And so, you know, as, as we try and understand law enforcement more, I hate that politicians don't really take things into consideration as they act on some things and introduce legislation, uh, very similar to the qualified immunity uh, portion. The public really doesn't understand that, but uh, politicians will say, well, let's do away with it for law enforcement. Well, people don't understand that the politicians have qualified immunity. The judges have qualified immunity. You cannot operate in the role in in the public uh, profession without qualified immunity. And all that simply means is that any settlements or litigation falls back on the agency or the department that hired you not necessarily on your on your own pocketbook. And uh, so that means that a city needs to ensure that they hire the right people. That way, the city's not paying out significant amounts of money. But a lot of people don't understand that. And uh, I just think that ultimately, the brand has been damaged. Law enforcement has been damaged. It has not been helped by some of the legislators that have gotten on camera and, and talked about defunding the police when the reality is legislators are the ones that create the laws and then expect us to go out and enforce them. And now you're saying that the enforcers, you should uh, defund them. And, and it, it just makes no sense whatsoever. So it's it's ruined the brand. I think we'll continue to have these issues with uh, recruiting and retention. I think that law enforcement is going to have to pivot to determine what is it that law enforcement actually needs to respond to. I need individuals with badges and guns going to these type of calls. I don't need them going to these other types of calls. And how can I maximize the finite number of individuals that I have in those sworn roles, but still provide the service that the city needs? So I think some of that's going to be uh, accomplished through uh, civilian staffing. And I think some of it's also going to be uh, heavy, heavy technology driven policing. Mm. So. I was uh, smiling. I was nodding my head in affirmative uh, for so many of the things that you said uh, in Colorado. I've actually gotten rid of qualified immunity for police officers. And what you said uh, is the exact same thing that uh, has been argued as well, that uh, if it's good for the goose, it's not good for the gander. And uh, this, these are things that need to be looked at. I want to expand just a, a little bit more on this. We're, we're really trying to dig into the future of policing. Those are some of the, um, the difficult challenges that we're facing. You talked a little bit about civilization and, and uh, technology. Now, let's say you had a magic wand. Let's say that you could just wave your wand and uh, you could say that, you know, policing needs to go in, in this direction and this is how we're going to be successful. Uh, what do you think about that? Is there uh, something beyond your control that you think uh, could, could benefit policing in the future? Oh, wow. Something that might help with policing in the future. I think a robust education system would help. I, I think a lot of the, the individuals that we deal with on the streets that are committing the crimes are not well educated. Uh, however, they want the same things that educated people have and people that work hard have. And so 
they go out and commit criminal acts to to get to that point. And I think um, if a person were properly educated, if our education system was uh, was robust enough to give every American citizen the education that they need for whatever role they're going to play in society. I, it doesn't matter if a person goes on to uh, college or a technical school or whatever. We need to properly educate our kids and the teachers need the support to be able to do that. At least here in Oklahoma, with some of the uh, as time has gone on, you know, it, it, it is more about how much money can I get for my uh, school system? And so you can't kick this kid or this disruptive person out of the classroom. You have to teach with them in the classroom. Maybe that person holds everyone back or creates enough disruption where our kids aren't properly educated, even the ones that, that want to be. And I think that takes a toll on on uh, our teachers and uh, our, our professions are so tied close together. I don't think people actually realize it. A lot of people are concerned about crime and uh, violent crime, if you will. And so people talk about, well, how do we how do we uh, deal with that? Let's let's lock people up or let's fix this by, you know, penalizing people more. Some of that might help, but uh, but nobody takes the approach of looking at it from the front end and, and saying, how can we create sustainable change for our kids? That translates into less crime and, and, uh, and less violent crime in our city. Everyone is so fixated on a quick fix and so we quick fix things by decriminalizing things. It used to be $500 for uh, larceny. Now we're going to make it 1000 That way we keep people out of jail more. And yeah, that's a quick fix. That's going to that's gonna fix your jail problem. But it's not going to necessarily help the crime itself. To help the crime itself, you have to look further down the food chain, if you will. And that's kind of where we are with uh, in society. We want everything quick. We want to fix it quick. And sometimes we actually need to look, you know, beyond what law enforcement is dealing with. Look at the education system, look at how we parent in our, our households and try and fix that. Well said. Uh, stop putting Band-Aids, thinking that's going to solve everything. You talked a little bit about crime. You know, uh, I got to walk around your, your city uh, yesterday. I can't believe you got crime here at all. Everybody's so nice. I couldn't believe how nice everybody was uh, to me. What what a nice group of people that that are, are here in Tulsa. Um, and then uh, you're you're a son of Tulsa. You said that you were uh, born and raised here, and then this is the only police department you worked for, right? Right. Maybe people are in in your uh, community uh, they probably know you pretty good. Um, maybe some folks in the community here in Tulsa that don't know what, what is it that you'd like to, uh, let your community know about you that they might not already know? Wow. My community knows quite a bit about me. <laughs> they, they, they've done, uh, uh, quite a bit of research on me. If we're going to go down that road, I guess one thing a lot of people don't know about me is that, uh, I'm not going to call myself an artist, but, uh, I am pretty creative and uh, and used to do artwork from sketches and to paintings. And um, so I used to do that kind of stuff in high school. And, and uh, 
I don't do that anymore, though. Okay. Well, uh, that's that's good. I mean, you look like you could be the starting uh, safe free safety for uh, uh, a local football team uh, over here. But I uh, think that's just good genetics there. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm not. Uh, yeah, I used to, uh, I, and I still do work out, but uh, but. The older you get, you start realizing, hey, uh, I can't lift as much as I used to. You're, you're still making it happen. Uh, I like it. Um, you know, we talked about advice. We also talked about some of the challenges uh, here. You alluded to, uh, you know, how difficult it is to get new people to come on the department. If you could speak to somebody that's considering becoming a police officer that wants to be a Tulsa police officer, what, what advice or what would you share with that person? Um, I, w- I would share that this is uh, still one of the greatest professions out there, and that's that's exactly why I got into the role. Is is I wanted to um, I wanted to uh, help people, and uh, what better way of doing that than through public service? And so um, this generation of policing and, and where we're headed, it is even if you don't like being out on the street in a patrol car. There is so much more to this job than than just being out in a patrol car. You know, the the policing profession is going to have to have great investigators and detectives to help solve crime. I alluded to earlier about technology and how tech driven we have become as as a policing organization. And uh, that's going to just continue to uh, to be a part. So those that are into technology, uh, that are gamers, all of that comes into play in the profession uh, today. So we want people that are critical thinkers. We want people that uh, that are good decision makers and uh, we want educated people. So in Tulsa, uh, we're kind of unique. We are one of only a handful of departments that require a bachelor's degree for employment. But we, you know, we hold to that and, and we want the best. When you get to work alongside the best, you see the difference. Uh, our officers can operate autonomously and uh, and make decisions and be right about those decisions and, and be confident in those decisions. And, and we think that, you know, the education piece is critical for that. Very good. All right. Uh, we're going to wrap this up with a, a nice, friendly uh, question here. But. You can't give me any cheesy answers, okay? Uh, Chief Wendell Franklin, if you were not uh, in policing at all, what would you be doing? What is it that, uh, what kind of job would you have? What kind of career would you have if uh, if you weren't a police officer who worked his way all the way up to the top? What would you be doing? I would probably be doing something for a tech company. Again, the creative side of me enjoys uh, uh, finding solutions for things. I would I would be at probably one of these premier tech companies uh, working in, in the tech industry. All right. I, I like it. I like it. And see, we got some big challenges. We got some problems that need to be solved. So uh, I think that technology can. So programmer Wendell Frank. Franklin could have been helping uh, his community from a from a different angle. I like sure. it. I like it. Uh, well, uh, Chief, thank you so much for uh, being on the podcast. We appreciate you. It's so good to see you live and in person. Uh, really uh, appreciate your time. Thank you. Bye. All right. Bye. Police Chief Podcast is made possible by our friends at Power DMS by NeoGov and hosted by Paul Pazin, the former chief of police in Denver, Colorado. 
As always, thank you for your service, stay vigilant, and stay safe.